Now on Radio Italia Uno, it's time to change the world with Matt McQuinley. The energy, the faith, the devotion which we bring to this endeavor will light our country and all who serve it. And the glow from that fire can truly light the world. We focus on changing the world for the better by taking personal responsibility, canceling cancel culture, discussing and listening to each other on topics like leadership, cultural trends, business, history, and more. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Right now on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM. In the 1968 Mexico Olympics, Mark Spitz was expected to win several gold medals in swimming. He even bragged he would win six. But he only won two in that Olympics, and those were in relays, not individual events. He even lost two events that he had the world record in. He trained and made the team again in 1972. He did much better. In the 1972 Olympics, after Mark Spitz won his fifth gold medal, he went to his coach and he said, Coach, I can't swim the last two events. His coach said, Why? What's the matter, Mark? Do you have a fever? He felt his forehead. He said, Did you pull a muscle? What's the matter? Why can't you swim the last two events? And Mark Spitz said, Coach, I might lose. Those are my weakest events. I could get a silver or a bronze or maybe not even place. I want to go out on top. I want to go out a winner. His coach said, Mark, this is the Olympics. You've been training for this for eight years. This is the culmination of your life's work. You have to try. And Mark Smith said, Coach, mm, can't do it. Then the coach tried a different tack. He said, Mark, the team is counting on you. We need you to swim. You got to do it for the team. Mark Spitz said, well, coach, I just can't do it. The coach tried yet another tack. He said, Mark, you are representing the United States of America. The entire world is watching you. You're representing your nation. You have to do it for your country. Mark Spitz said, uh, I can't do it, coach. At this point, the coach started to get a little angry. And he said, Mark, you're swimming. Mark Spitz said, no, I'm not. Coach said, yes, you are. Mark Spitz said, no, I'm not. Coach said, yes, you are. Mark Spitz said, no, I'm not. And they almost got into a shoving match over it. And it got louder and louder and louder. And finally, in exasperation, the coach said, Mark, yesterday when I watched you win your fifth gold medal and you blew everybody away and everyone was in awe, all I could think was, gosh, how good. Can somebody really be at something? How good can they really be? You know what, Mark? I guess we'll never find out. And then he left. Well, Mark Spitz swam those last two races and won two more gold medals. He won seven gold medals and one Olympics in swimming, which had never been done in the 80 years of modern Olympic history up until that point. It took until 2008, 36 years later, for it to happen again, and it hasn't happened again since. One person who's been trying to help people, corporations, and organizations find out their true potential and how great they can really be is in our studio today. 
Mary Saunders was an educator, a lecturer, a trainer, and an executive coach. She's currently director of Sage Insights, whose mission, in their words, is to help individuals and organizations, quote, reframe your thinking and behavior to manifest your aspirations, unquote. Welcome to the show, Mary. We're very happy to have you here today. I'm stunned. I don't think I can do this, Matt. <laughs> what are you talking about? What, is, what if I fail? What if I can't do <laughs> Oh, there you go. Sorry. Uh, that that, that meow right over my head. <laughs> it's like, like you've ever had a crisis of confidence, you know? No. It's I been decades it. since you've had one of those, I think. Well, that's true. That's because I've been doing this for, you know, 23 years of mm. working within leaders. But that story, is it It's true? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I can't make stuff up and do it over the air. I have to yeah. save that for when I used to date. That's when I made up my stories, you know. Oh, you weren't authentic when you were dating. No, You're no. You are authentic when you got a microphone. Yeah, 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 yeah of course, yeah. Oh, what does well, that I tell mean, us this, about you? This opens to me, yeah, I'm open to liability here, civil and criminal. So, Yes, and you've got a wonderful audience mm, here. Mm. Uh, yes, I am very privileged to be able to have to work very different ways to help people to feel that confidence in themselves. Mm. And when people feel like they're actually doing things for a greater good, part of their mission, part of their purpose, then they actually fly. And they get many gold medals, just not necessarily metal ones, mm. but medals of how you do well in relationships, of how well you are as a parent, how well you are as a daughter, and then how well are you in your workspace. Mm. So tell us a little bit about your hero's journey to get where you're at, you know, because you're an educator and, yep. and, and what you're doing now and, and why you're doing it, why you're excited about doing it. It's, um, I'm not a hero. I'm just Mary. Mm-hmm. And I've had three surnames. So I started off as Mary Hartman. I'm the eldest of five children from a very strong Dutch Catholic family. And being the eldest, I was watching my little brothers and sisters and just loved being with them. And then I started up a school library. And because I loved education so much. And then I wanted to be married and have two beautiful children. And I have two sons. And then I was Mary Stevens and married into a Lebanese culture. So then I had the mixture of the Dutch and the Lebanese. And then I loved teaching. And I thought, yeah, this is pretty good. And then I wanted to do more community education. So I was doing a lot of drug education and working at decision making. And I found that when people didn't feel confident about themselves, they were likely to do things to fit in rather than what was best for them. Mm. So then I went into um, doing lecturing in TAFE, so I moved through the education sector. And as I was doing TAFE, I had a beautiful person called Keg come up to me and says, what you're doing is really, really good, you just don't like the material. And I said, look, I have to use this material for TAFE. He said, yeah, but you don't like it. I said, no, I don't. And he said, well, why don't you go out on your own and try yourself and do what you need to do? Oh, I can't do that. He said, well, you've just done it for two days and I wouldn't normally sit through two days of workshops, so go ahead and just do it. And I got that push into the pool of leadership in organisations. And when I started swimming, I really enjoyed it and stayed in it and I've done lots of different pools and lots of different organisations, corporates, not-for-profits, schools, education, universities. Um, worked with Lindley's, I've worked with railway industry, I've worked in the construction industry and all of them mainly within their leaders of how to get the best out of the people. The name of your business is Sage Insights. Mm. Uh, Why is that? Um, Sage is just a positive herb but it's also a um, means wisdom and I use the wisdom of the people that are in the group. I've got my wisdom but nobody's particularly interested in that but I am interested in how that wisdom can be used within the group in an organisation. 
And then insights, well, I look at hindsight of where people have come in their life to look at where they're wanting to go to then focus on what they're doing right now to create where they want to go. So insights is going inside yourself to then go outside. Okay. And your symbol is a bee. <laughs> so why, why a bee? I mean, obviously nobody wants to get stung. So, <laughs> so. They can sting, uh-huh. and our words can sting. Mm. And so that's why I try to make the whole conversation positive. What's going well in your life? What are you learning from what's not going well? So I do buzz around. Mm-hmm. If I'm doing any presentation or workshops, you're not sitting still for long because it's through activity and movement that we actually know more about people. Mm-hmm. Just like I've got a bee sees about 2,000 flowers on each of its flights, I actually grab 2,000 pieces of, of input from people, and then we make it into something like honey. But we have to have conflict. We have to get something in there. We've got to create an energy. And the way that we do that is through our conversations. If we can be kind, to the point, short and focused within 40 seconds, we can do miracles. And then we make the honey that people want to eat from. Because honey is about the only food that doesn't have a use-by date, Mm. which means that it can last forever, a bit like money Mm. and gold. They're treasures that we need to be looking for. And it's the great amount of work that gets to that honey. We're being a little cerebral now, so let's try to make it really clear here about who your ideal client is, where they're at, and then where you try to get them. Well, I just have conversations with people. Mm -hmm. And then people will just suddenly say something like, I'm really looking for a change right now. Mm -hmm. Oh, what type of things would you like to change? Oh, I've been in my workplace for too long. I've done what I wanted to do. I really am not getting any much further, but it's safe and secure and I've got everything here. And then I say, so what is it you really want to do? And they will say very openly to me. And then they say, how did did I find out so much information in just asking a couple of questions? And the key is to ask questions. So I'm dealing with people who are asking questions, who want to create differences in their lives, and I help them to be able to do that. I want organisations where people are valued, and how can we do that better? And just since COVID, we've got a new generation of people of Gen Zs that are coming through that have got very, very different needs to the baby boomers and Gen X. So those people in their 18 to 40 age group, they're actually looking for guidance and coaching, just like people in the pool, people getting Olympic medals. We're looking to move people forward. So I'm looking for organisations where people are valued, where you don't want to be doing the high turnover, but you want an energy of innovation happening. And it all happens with conversation. So for a corporate uh, client, your mm. focus is retention and development of yes. staff. Yes, definitely. And then for an individual, your focus is? An individual is what is it that's really important to them that they're not saying? So if people are talking to me, I'm listening to the content a little bit, but then I'm actually listening to when they stop, when they pause, when they go a little bit closer towards me, when they start thinking deeply about what they're wanting. And people give clues as to when we're getting close to what they really want to do in their lives. So with individuals, your focus is trying to help them figure out what they want and then achieve it with the ultimate goal of them being happy and reaching their potential. I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. I'm trying to clarify it for those who might be listening. What's the outcome of what we're going to get is the fact that they feel good about themselves. And when people feel good about themselves, they're much more productive. And the way to do that is to focus on their strengths. What's positive? How, what are the strategies they use to get out of what they're in? 
All right. Well, that's great stuff. Well, we're going to be back in just a little bit with Mary Saunders, and she's going to talk about some of these techniques that she utilizes to help organizations bring out the best in their people, as well as help you bring out the best in yourself. You're listening to Change the World with Matt McQuinley on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM. We're back with Mary Saunders from Sage Insights. And in the last uh, session, we teased a little bit that we were going to talk about, Mary, how you help people uh, bring out their own potential and help them figure out what they want, and also how you do that with organizations. Can we start with, with people? How do you help people figure out what they really want? How do you help them reach their own potential? And then let's talk about the work you do with organizations. Okay, thank you. The, my, one of my clients that I've, has been with me since the beginning of COVID was actually struggling during COVID. And then when he finally got through, he realised that he was working so hard, he had burnout. He just could not get motivated anymore. And so then I spoke with him and just sort of said, how did you get through the initial stages of COVID? And he really loved looking after his family, looking after his children. And then things got out of hand and he started doing more and more work so then we had to start looking at the strategies he used when he was happy and when everything was going well and how he could do that now with his burnout and how he could rest and recover and move through that okay great and how do you do that with organizations well, organisations call me in sometimes, often when their managers are not working effectively with their teams, when there's conflict in organisations or when there's um, someone who is not communicating very effectively. The relationships are being affected in a workplace. Mm-hmm. And this is when we work with the people in there and just look at each person's diversity and we use the warmth of diversity to be able to create a different energy within the group. Hmm. And how would you go about doing that? That sounds you know, a little bit amorphous. You want me to know what happens when you get yeah, in that yeah, pool. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so let's be let's get down to the nitty-gritty. Okay, so I walk into a, a workshop and I can see there's about 20 faces in there mm-hmm. and they're not talking to each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, there's only a small group sitting together. So the first thing I do is, okay, I'd like you to change tables or I'd like you to wear your watch on your right hand. Mm-hmm. I'd like you to think about something very different. Mm-hmm. And then I'd like you to look at the person and what they're wearing and make a comment about the colour or anything there. So we're not actually talking about the person, we're talking about the environment and themselves. Mm-hmm. Then I'd like you to talk about your name, mm-hmm. what's really important in your name. So, Matt, how did you get your name, Matthew? My mother gave it to me. <laughs> not your father? No. Well, I, you know, I never asked that question, but just assuming how the relationship goes and yeah. mine goes, I would assume it was my mother. See, we make assumptions, don't mm, we? Yeah, that was an assumption, yes, absolutely. Because we don't ask questions even over something that mm. we're with all of our lives. Mm. So I think if you would have found out more, you might have found out a little bit more about mm. your mum and dad mm. and that relationship in there. So we lead our lives in different ways, in our roles, first of all in family, and then in our relationship, our close relationships, then with our friends and then within our work colleagues. So then we've got, we've got people talking to each other as people, and then we give them a problem to be solving. So it could be that you've got $50,000 to spend in your work team to be able to create something. What would you do with that? And mm-hmm. then we get the diversity coming in, and then they have to talk to the other person, and then we're picking up communication skills. There's three communication skills. First of all, you need to acknowledge that the person, what the person has said. 
So you can summarise, you can mention a feeling, you can agree with something, get to a common base. Then we need to start validating what it is that you're both talking about. So let's get to the purpose of it. And then the last one is to encourage one of their ideas and add it to your own. So those three steps are the important things and particularly when people telling you something about that's positive. So what's going well in your workplace and how does that work? So then we look at acknowledge, validate and encourage. So it sounds like your focus, and please correct me if I'm wrong, because I, I keep oh, saying, I, <laughs> I don't doubt it. I, I keep saying things, but I, I'm just trying to distill things down for people. Terrific. Thank so, you. Uh, so it sounds like one of the key things that you do for organizations is just merely individual I, I, building. I'm individual building. I'm building individuals to work together as a team uh-huh. individually. So if, so if this not, was like the U.S., you'd be army of one. That was something the <laughs> army used to – we used to be be all you can be, and then they switched it to army of one, you know, where you're well, supposed I to be you had a part word. of the group but still individually strong. Is that yes. what you're saying? and I think, too, you can have – you had the person who was being the dissidents in, in the army. You had that motivating story of someone who didn't want to be uh, having, having a weapon, and mm-hmm. you called him an appreciative dissidence, I think. Oh, you're talking about uh, Desmond Doss. He was yes. a he was a conscious cooperator, a conscious instead of, cooperator instead of a, co- right. a conscious uh, objector. Yeah. Yes, and I'm looking for someone who's objecting in a group, mm-hmm. and then help them the rest of the group to consciously choose what that person is adding to the group that is a different way of thinking. They're not being an objector; they're actually looking at it at it from a very different point of view. Mm. How can they still be included? Inclusivity is the most important thing in an organisation. If everyone feels included mm. and valued, self-actualisation, the top of Maslow's um, theory of uh, self-actualisation, when we have that respect for each other, then individualise, individual people actualise to create the team. Each mm. individual is different and works together. And that has been the biggest change in leadership it used to be time management. Well, time management is one thing. You cannot manage time, but you can manage your approach to time. Mm. Just like you can't manage people, but you can manage the way that you approach people. Mm-hmm. And you can either create kindness or you can create havoc. And there's not much in between. So if you just appreciate people, if you let them know what they're doing well, 84% of people are actually looking for well-being in a workplace mm. and they want to be appreciated. And the way to do that is to give effective feedback on their behaviour as well as guiding them on the behaviour that doesn't work. My area of negative behaviour is to work in a positive way. Mm. So if someone comes in late, I say the first time, oh, that's not, that's unusual. If it's the second time, oh, that's twice this week you've been late. Wow, this is really unusual. If it happens again, I might need to talk to you about it a little bit more because there's obviously something else happening. On the third time that that behaviour is shown, I say, look, I've noticed it's happening three times and it's really impacting on the team. Have you noticed what has impacted on the team? Well, look, I don't really care about the team. I am having trouble at home. I can't get my son to school on time. And so I said, well, is there anything that we can be doing to help you through that? What, what can we do as a workplace? Would you like to start 15 minutes later and stay 15 minutes on so that the rest of the team knows? And let's talk about it with the team. And when people feel heard, so I've agreed with something, we've acknowledged that there is a problem that we need to move forward, and then we say, what's a possible solution? And then we get to that agreement, and we encourage each other when we do that. 
Mm. Wow. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. That's that's really positive. I, I, I Actually, I was reminded of something that I heard, oh gosh, 30 years ago, I guess, when I first got into corporate, um, where one of my vice presidents said uh, once, if we both think the same way, why are you here? <laughs> there is value in, obviously, different points of view, and you see that in great leaders. And the other thing that I wanted to highlight that you said was, when you were talking about uh, people feeling valued, that's, I, I, I read, like, gosh, this was probably 20, 25 years ago as well, a Carl Mays study done at University of Ohio, I think it was, and they ranked what employees thought was important, and they ranked what management and leadership thought was important, yep. and they were actually reversed. The managers thought the things that were important to employees were such a, one, two, three, and those were the actual bottom three, not the top three. And what they found, of course, was what you said was feeling in on things is the most important thing uh, for job satisfaction, not salary, not whatever. I mean, that's short-term, uh, obviously, gratification, getting a lot of money. But long-term, it's uh, feeling part of a team and feeling in on things. Yep. So that's awesome. And I think if you're dealing with humans, if you're looking at motivating you want the intrinsic motivation. Mm -hmm. You don't want the extrinsic, which is what uh, increasing salary does or increasing responsibility. But they're not giving all of the skills associated. To be working a pathway through the career, people need to know what skills. And mm. most of those is people influencing people to be able to stay together or to work together. And people, people often say to me in organisations, I'd be loving my job if I didn't have to deal with the people. Mm. That means they haven't gone from their skills of skills-based of doing the task to relationship-based of how can I make this better? Mm. How can this work better? And I think it happens in our personal relationships. Opposites attract, the same as what the vice president was saying to you. You want someone who's different, but they're the things that actually draw us apart because those things that attracted us then become the frustrating things because they're late or they don't put things away the same way or they're not listening or they're too involved in their work. They're not as important anymore. All of those things that actually bring people together are the things that draw us apart too. So just being aware all the time. I think the biggest shift, though, is that people having a voice. In the 23 years that I've been doing this is people need to be heard on different things. They need to be seen to be who they are and what value they add. And the only way to do that is through effective feedback. Now, I'm not talking about praising people. That's shallow. What we're looking at is what exactly am I doing that's making it interesting or making my job easier or being a part of a team. So the fact that you keep up the communication, Matt, you know, every every text message you reply to, I knew that I could trust you on the way. And even when you're sort of saying I'm running five minutes late, I'll be there but I'll be five minutes late, I felt like, yes, I'm being informed all the way. It's the little things that make a difference. Telling someone, thank you for getting me a cup of coffee there today. I was so rushed I didn't even have that. And genuinely saying it, if it's not authentic, people will read it and they'll be, you'll be seen as phony yourself. Intrinsically motivating people is noticing what they do that's beyond the call of duty. Mm. Wow. That's, that's great stuff. Well, we're up on a break here. In the next session, we're going to talk a little bit about the work that you're doing with leaders because I know yes. that's your real passion. <laughs> yes. And I want to point out, too, that not just necessarily leaders of corporations or leaders in the Army or leaders uh, – you could be a leader at home, you know, in your yep. family. You can be a leader at work. You can be a leader at your church. So we all – 
wear the leadership hat from time to time, some of us more than others. <laughs> and we're going to hear some great tips on helping us develop those skills right after this. You're listening to Change the World with Matt McQuinley on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM. We're back with Mary Saunders here at uh, Radio Italia Uno uh, from Sage Insights. And in the last session, we talked a little bit about that your real passion is working with leaders. And we also were talking in the break a little bit about the fact that for a leader to be effective, they really need to be kind of Shakespearean in the way of, to thine own self, they must be true. (laughs) Love it. So... uh, Can you talk a little bit about how you work with leaders first on their relationship with themselves and then on how they uh, translate that into a positive interaction and a positive result for their teams? Yeah. It's really interesting when I hear people scolding themselves, sort of saying, I could be better at doing this. Oh, you know, I need to do this. I've got a deficit in my way that I treat my Uh, particularly people uh, that are really incompetent or not being able to do what they want to do. And I'm listening to, and what is it about yourself that you don't like? And what is it about yourself that you do like? And people are very dismissive of that. I listen to people's, the way they describe themselves, their situation, what they could do better, and I just help them to reframe it into what is it that you do well. We often don't speak well of ourselves. I find that really hard too. In fact, I'm It's easy to talk about other people and your clients and the leaders. That's so true, Matt. But to talk about yourself, what is it one thing? So if I asked you, Matt, what's one thing that you're really proud of, what would that be? Mm, I I would imagine my son. He's probably my best work. (laughs) Piece of work, yes. Yes, yes. But that's something about your son, see? This is what it's easy to do. It's something you've created, something you've achieved. Mm-hmm. But how did you – don't tell me how you got your son, but just yeah, well, yes. <laughs> why that, is that, your Those son... shows are always on after 10 p.m. But and what is uh, it? we do like to keep our radio license here. So, okay, we'll okay. Go, go down. Right, okay. So what is it about having a son – that makes you feel proud to be a father. Well, you have the opportunity uh, to, as the old Roman statue says, behold, the only thing greater than yourself. You have the opportunity to push forward, without sounding too hokey, but you have the opportunity to push forth mankind and and, uh, move the ball down the field and make make the world a better place each generation. That's right. Or who is it that said that, was it Deepak Chopra? Probably somebody else, but it, it, that children are the proof that God hasn't given up on humanity. <laughs> and how true is that? And it actually teaches us the most about ourselves. I think my parenting role was one of the most um, demanding roles. The grandparenting role is so much easier. Mm. But more importantly, I think it teaches us about ourselves and patience and who we are. So our children are certainly the gift that we get given. But I think all of our relationships are the gift that we get given. But it's choosing the relationships that we really, that impact on us. I suppose the hardest thing is who to say no to. Mm. Toxic relationships can drain every ounce of energy and then there's nothing more to give to the people that we love. So choosing who encourages you to be who you are. 
I was very fortunate with my second husband particularly to be able to – I've only got two, so not like I've got hundreds of them – but I've got two, a second husband who just supported me to be Mary. Not Mary as a mother or anything, but just Mary being Mary. If I can help people to find who they are and what makes them and what motivates them, then that makes it much easier for them to take that into the leadership role because what Brene Brown has done in all of her 20 years of looking at vulnerability – it's when we're vulnerable, when we're tired, when we're exhausted, when we just can't do anything more, is when we grow. And if we can use that as an opportunity for growth rather than of staying down, of no hope. And the way to do this is to look at what is it that we really appreciate about ourselves. Seeing the light side, that's what I love about what you do, Matt, is that you'll come up with a quip that's so out of the box, which means that you've been listening, but you've been distancing yourself. I want all leaders to be able to distance themselves from the conversation and see the wider group. I also want to use wise caution, use words that are encouraging rather than demeaning or putting someone down. The self-control that we need to stop the reaction of a trigger that people give us, what we need to do is step forward and to be able to say, I don't like that because this is what it does for me. How else can we work together to solve the problem, which is what the outcome of what we wanted to be doing? All of this is leadership, so that every relationship, whether we're at home, in our sporting teams, which is why I love Ted Lasso, by the way. Ted Lasso is the person who actually exemplifies the positive response that you can give to any comment. So you could have an older player who's not feeling very part of the team, that the new generation can't keep up with it. How do you get them to mentor the team not because of the lack of skills, but the skills in understanding how to deal with nervousness, of how to speak publicly, how to get your message across in a very short space of time. They're the skills that people need to lead their lives, let alone leading other people's lives. Hmm. Okay. And once, once a leader is self-aware, for lack of a better term, yep. of their strengths, and how do they translate in, that into helping out their teams? How do, you, how do you flip that around to help them get better uh, productivity and a better environment? Well, if you're feeling good about yourself, you generate an energy or mm. a vibe and people are attracted to that. Mm. But you've got to do something with that vibe. Mm -hmm. So then you flick it straight back to the other person because people need to hear what it is that you see in them. So when you tell them the positives... So we really want people to be courageous, to say what they're thinking in an honest, kind way. We want them to be gracious. We really want them to start thinking of how can this person be better in themselves because I've said something that compliments them. We want them to be vivacious. We want them to be energised. But we also need to rest. We need to give them space to think and to allow them to be themselves. And we're doing all of this aceous words, which is full of, we are sagacious. We are full of wisdom about ourselves, others, the outcomes that we're all working towards, and then how can we work that together? The obstacles become opportunities to talk about how can we do this better. Okay, so you're talking about sagacious, which <laughs> I'm not sure. Is that a real word it or did you make it up? Word. Okay, I wasn't sure. <laughs> did it sound so, like I made it up? Well, well, it I just mean, rhymes I, so I have, I have a relatively good vocabulary, but I, I, I haven't heard that one before. No. So um, – but can you expand on the Sage Insights philosophy? I know that there's some interesting analogies that you use that I think the audience would love to hear. I was very fortunate to be working in the mines when I was um, running workshops for leaders there. 
and I walked, uh, walked into an Aboriginal community and I was really intrigued by their paintings. There were lots of things that were distressing in that situation. But what I noticed was the artwork where they used the dot painting. And one of the women was sort of saying there, when you join the dots of your life and give them meaning, you create a circle of influence that you can impact on people. And I was looking at their people shapes and I thought, wow, how can we get individuals working together? And that's when the sagacious tree came to me, a tree full of wisdom. All parts are important. You need the bark to protect it. You need the roots to get the water. You need the branches to hold the weight of the canopy. You need the leaves for the food. And you need the bees to bring all of the honey and the pollen and pollinating out of it all. And you also need the white space for it all to go. But more importantly, you need that sap, the communication. So that's where the metaphor of sagacious tree came in. And because sagacious is such a wonderful word and nobody could say it, Matt, so you actually said it really, really Mm. quickly. But sagacious or uh, gracious and courageous is what we're looking at, people being courageous in what they do in a gracious way that depicts, like each tree, its own individuality. This is all based on scientific research because I'm inspired by nature, the nature of people and the nature around us, but I'm also nurtured by science. And Martin Seligman and his team of 55 scientists worked out what are the six universal values that are really important. The first one is the wisdom and knowledge. So it's like the bark of the tree, so you can build really sound decisions. We've also got the meaning and purpose, which is the sap of putting all that communication through. We have the, uh, the value of courage, which builds respect. When we're looking at temperance, which is that control and builds resilience, and then we're all connected by humanity, just like the bees come in and buzz in and out like the birds, and the leaves that bring all of the food and nutrition in there. So when we're looking at all of that, then we're looking at everyone's what they're saying and how they are saying their words and how they're communicating through their body and what they're merely meaning to do and what they're wanting to do within the workplace or in their relationships or in their home or in their team. And Ted Lasso, he uses all of those positive energies to be able to create that and wonderful Apple TV series. You've not watched that one? No, no, I haven't. So an American um, uh, football coach comes over to teach a UK soccer team Hmm. of all of the schools and uh, he makes the positive situation out of anything that's around him. Hmm. Okay. Seligman, isn't he the one that did the Learned optimism. Oh, okay. Yep. So... How do you how do you utilize that with your with your clients? Well, interestingly, it is learned because mm-hmm. we are actually most of our upbringing has been what we're doing wrong. No, 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 don't do this, don't do that. So we have to read, and when we're born, we actually are very optimistic. We have to push our way to get fed and to be noticed, particularly if we're in a family. So what we need to do is to learn how to be optimistic, how to turn an obstacle into an opportunity, how to move forward when you feel very fearful. When you're feeling really negative, how can you push yourself to be positive? And that is your self-talk as well as what people are saying to you, but you have to believe it yourself too. (laughs) Sorry, that reminded me of a joke, okay? This is what not to do, okay? Little voice comes home, he says, Dad, I flunked my arithmetic test. And the father says, son, that's negative. you got to think positive. And the little boy goes, Dad, I'm positive I flunked my arithmetic <laughs> test. <laughs> so, yes, don't turn positives into negatives. Turn negatives into positives. Got it. Okay. <laughs> so we're going to be back in just a couple minutes here after some breaks, and we're going to have some final thoughts 
and some other keen insights from Mary Saunders of Sage Insights. You're listening to Change the World with Matt McQuinley on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM. Now, Mary, uh, as, uh, as director and CEO of Sage Insights, uh, I'm sure many people that have been listening are like, well, how can I learn more? You're just touching the tip of the iceberg here. Absolutely. So can you uh, tell them how they could learn more from you? Or? Well, I'm certainly a keen gardener, and I mm-hmm. like to trim and prune people so that they, create, they grow the shape that they want to. So please, I've got a wonderful website called uh, Sage Insights, www.sageinsights.com.au. And if you'd like to just have a look at that, that'd be great. I'm also available on Instagram, Mary Saunders and Sage Insights and Facebook and LinkedIn, which is one of my favorite areas in there. All right. You were talking in the break a little bit about the importance of the sense of humor. (laughs) Would you like to share that with the group as far as in leadership and dealing with others? Well, the science of neuroscience, which looks at how people can grow um, plasticity in the way that they're thinking, is one of the key components in leadership. And it's probably the thing that humour does really well because it has a surprise element in there which is essential for the humour to work. The interesting fact that came through from all the studies on humour, and it does depend on culture and and, uh, gender and your upbringing, but generally those people who are quick to laugh are also very quick to forget stressful experiences. So if we can forget, then we can move forward, and that's often the hard bit. Um, the movie Patch Adams was where healing and humour work really well together. And according to Mark Twain, humour humor is one of the greatest blessings. Well, I want to take a step back here. You talked sure. a little bit about uh, toxic relationships yeah. and the importance of being able to manage those and get out of them and then get over them. Yeah. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how you might help individuals and organizations in that kind of situation? Well, I think one of the hardest things to do is to forgive people when they don't want to be forgiven. And so we need to then work past that. We have to forgive ourselves and those who hurt us, but we don't forget. We learn from it. Then we need to find a zest a new way of being and often when we bring change we need to change our friends and change our relationships we still have contact with them we show respect but we're aware that these people may not respect us so we do a lot of not necessarily avoidance we still keep to our integrity being grateful for the experience of knowing what you don't want is as important as knowing what you do want and so having that balance is really important and interestingly You can't be angry and see humour and be light at the same time. So get rid of the anger and see what's good around the relationship, what you can take away from the lesson that you've learnt and to move forward. It's one of the key things to lead to hope for a better future. Mm. And that's why being able to imagine what your life's going to be like, having a vision of where you want to be and then creating that. And you can do it quite easily. Well, yeah, that's that's sage advice. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, you're being so sagacious, Matt. Thank yeah, you. You're yeah. using my language. I mm. love it. <laughs> well, I, I just, and it's interesting because if you think about it, uh, these aren't new ideas. Even the Lord's Prayer, what it says, forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. And he's not talking about a balance sheet. He's talking <laughs> about those who have wronged us and, you know, and, and also the, the things that we've done wrong. Yes. You know, forgive us the things we've done wrong. 
help us forgive the people who've wronged us. Yes. And and the key to uh, one thing I think that you kind of alluded to, but I just want to underline is forgiveness is not really for the person you're forgiving. It's for you. That's right. That's how you have the opportunity to move on. That's how you have the opportunity to be happy. Uh, just like when somebody cuts you off on the road and you're yelling and punching the steering wheel, that guy's driving down. He doesn't even think about you. No. He has, doesn't even know that he's upset you. No. So the only person that's getting hurt is you. So that's why and the people forgiveness in the car is with so key. <laughs> and the people around you. That's a good point. <laughs> yes, right. I think often we take our frustrations out at home, and they're the last place that you want oh, to be yeah. that. Yeah, and that's I really think if you're not in the funny. car yeah. and you're actually sort of saying, okay, letting that part of the day go, mm. I'll turn my motor off, I'm turning off those thoughts. Mm. And controlling our thoughts is that self regulation that is really important. And the way to do that is to think of who you're going to, what is it about them that I want to find out? Let me go, let go of what my agenda is. Mm. Well, in the last, in two, three, maybe four minutes. Oh, okay, thank you, Matt. This has gone so quickly. If, 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 yeah, it has gone very fast. Uh, it's only because the topic is so good and your knowledge is so deep. Thank you. So, uh, if you could give us the things that you want the audience to carry away from our time together the most, that would be great. I think that example of what you've just done is you said exactly what I have done in this last hour in just two words. I, what I say is so knowledgeable and it's so deep because we can't change people. We can only validate who they are, acknowledge how they're valued and encourage them to do what they do. And it reminds me of Maya Angelou quote. Do you know Maya Angelou in that? Yeah, she was a poet laureate. Uh, she, I think she – oh, and she wrote a caged – I yes. know why the caged bird sings. Yeah, I read it's that. Beautiful, yeah. beautiful yeah. story. Her life was very, very miserable. Mm-hmm. But one of her quotes that I live by is, people forget what you say. People forget what you do. But they never forget how you make them feel. She said that? She did. I thought that was Mary Kay Ash. <laughs> <laughs> no, hers, hers, oh, she was the uh, makeup person, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I no, thought she, she said, said that. Oh, people are always wanting to know how important they are. Oh, so that's they what she said. They keep feel okay. important. That oh, was. okay, all right. But this one was, and I. Because she had some. I know why the cage birds sing is about being miserable in, ra- in uh, racist America, is what that book is about but, but, but it still yeah. sings and mm. it's something that sings within you and so she didn't talk for three years Maya Angelou after a, a horrific rape mm. and uh, then when she did talk she only used her words to inspire mm. and I think we can all talk less hear more and just give more to other people wow all right well, I want to thank you for being here with us today. Uh, it's been a pleasure, Mary. Well, it's been great being here, Matt. This has been a really exciting thing to do. <laughs> and if you could just tell everybody again how they could contact you if they want to learn more about what you're doing and perhaps even utilize your services in the future, that would be great. It would be really good because I'd love to get some more Adelaide clients. I've got a lot in uh, interstate, but I'd love to get some Adelaide clients. So it's Mary Saunders at Sage Insights. Dot com dot au. And thank you for being a wonderful um, person to be with, Matt. And I'm sure your audience would be equally as wonderful to be with. All right. I'll give you the $50 after. Okay. Well, you said you really need the work. So <laughs> anyway. So, yeah, I want to thank you again for being here today, Mary. It's been a pleasure. I want to thank all of you, of course, for listening. Join us next week at 6 p.m. Monday on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM, where our guest will be mental health author Kate Howell. 
And as always, I'll leave you with a brief inspirational story. Everything I'm going to discuss next is a matter of scientific fact and has been sourced from multiple reputable medical journals and publications. DID, dissociative identity disorder, occurs when a person suffers repeated trauma so horrible that to protect one's psyche, their personality disassociates and creates new personalities as a protective device. We used to call this split personality disorder. These personalities can number anywhere between two and 2,500. They can be male or female. They can be gay, straight, bisexual, pansexual, etc. Some personalities are children. Some are teens. Some are middle age. Some are retirement age, etc. Again, all in the same body. Mm. They can be right-handed. They can be left-handed. Some personalities will require eyeglasses. Some will not. Different personalities will require different prescriptions for their eyeglasses. Remember, all in the same person. Ophthalmologists have found that the curvature of the lens of the eye itself changes as they switch between personalities. Some people with DID have their eyes change color as they change personalities. Some personalities will be allergic to smoke. Another will be a smoker. Some will be allergic to cats or citrus. Others will not. One personality can even have diabetes or epilepsy. Others will not. Remember, again, these are all in one person. In some cases, even an insulin-dependent diabetic will not seem to require insulin injections in a different personality. Different personalities will respond differently to medication. In one case, a patient was given 5 milligrams of ketamine, the tranquilizer, or date rape drug as it's known, and it was effective. In another one of her personalities, she was given 20 times that dose, and it was completely ineffective. Different personalities actually show distinct, different brainwave patterns. In some cases, the facial muscles of the person with DID will actually change or move in such a way that even friends and family can't recognize them. Most astonishingly, in more than one well-documented case, some personalities will have a scar or injury from self-harming or from a fight. When they switch to another personality that doesn't self-harm or wasn't involved in that fight, the scar or the injury will actually disappear. When they return to that personality that self-harms or was in that fight, the scar or injury will reappear. In short, they can physically manifest and heal damaged tissues. To me, this seems like superhero powers. And it got me thinking, if people that who have been broken through unimaginable trauma have the ability to change their vision, to change their eye color, to cure and cause diabetes, to cure and cause epilepsy, to cure and cause allergies, to change their tolerance to drugs, to physically manifest scars and make them appear and disappear, and much more. What am I capable of? What are you capable of, more importantly? Think about it. What are we really capable of? And I'm reminded that there are two kinds of people in the world. The kind of people that think that they are limited, that they cannot accomplish their objectives, that they cannot make a difference, that there's no point in trying. And then 
They're the people that ask themselves, what can I actually do? Who do their best to find out and oftentimes accomplish things that other people think are impossible. As always, the real question is, which one are you?